Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? This is Justin from Off The Real Podcast, and um, I'm extremely stoked today because I have a guy uh, with me and with us that I've been reading for a long time, probably, um, I want to say close to five to seven years. The first time I read your article was the, the Rakim, Rakim article in 2014, uh-huh. and that was the first time uh, I kind of got familiar and just been following you ever since, but we have you on now to talk about this really cool um, book that you have out. It's about 6 9 and I guess it uh, chronicles his rise and fall. And um, I kind of want to leave it up to you there to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Thanks, Justin. So my name is Sean Sotero. I'm a writer and reporter at Complex. And yeah, and I just actually published a book called Dummy Boy, Takashi 6 9 and the Nine Trade Gangster Bloods. I don't know if your podcast has a visual component or not, but yes, sir. Showing, showing the cover here. Yes, I am rereading my own book to prepare for interviews like this, so hence, hence the bookmark. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, Complex partnered in putting it out with uh, Kingston Imperial Publishing Company. So, yeah, I'm thrilled with it. Like you like you said, it is about 6 9 Rise and Fall. I had been researching him and covering him since 2018, since probably the middle of 2018 was when I started looking into him. And... You know, a few months after that, that November, he got arrested, and I was just at every court hearing since then. And while all that was going on, I put together a podcast that you guys can find on Spotify called Infamous, the Takashi 6 9 story. Uh, Angie Martinez narrates that. And so we did a ton of interviews for that, that a lot of those interviews then, you know, went into the book. And this is just, but not everything could fit into the articles I was writing for Complex. Not everything could fit into the podcast. So this is just, this book is just a culmination of everything. Everything I know, all the wild stories, all the stuff that couldn't fit, you know, just the, I would say the the definitive um, take on this story. And I mean, I say that because, you know, I was in, I was a talking head in one of the documentaries about him. I was like, talking to the people who made the other, like I know sort of what's, what's been said and what's not. Both those movies are great, but this is like just a, a whole different thing. Okay. Did, um, so just speaking on the kind of Danny to six, nine, did you feel differently about him after you finished this book than you did before? That's a, that's a great question. I would say, in the process of interviewing people who knew him, I gained a real kind of 360 view of this person because all I knew beforehand was, you know, we'd been in the same room, you know, once before that hadn't even really spoken. So it's not like I had, you know, much personal stuff to, 
to work on. I only knew what everyone else knew, the trolling, the videos, the, you know, all the crazy stuff. But the more you talk to him, uh, to people who know him, the more you get that there's this other side of him too, right? This side that is quiet and respectful. Those are the words that came up over and over again when talking to people who knew him, right? So, you know, I, I came to realize there was that other side to him as well. You know, not just the, not just the loud trolley, you know, I'm going to poke at you till you pay attention to me side, but a, but a, a whole different side of his personality as well. And that's, that's what I kind of took away from the book. Um, I got to read it. It was excellent. It was, um, I've, I've seen the other two documentaries and um, I was wondering, would there be an overload of the same information? And you did such a good job of taking different angles. Um, uh, you spoke about his mom. Like I had never heard his mom's name before and uh, knew those kind of things. You actually put a different spin on the um, stepfather uh, uh -huh. murder story. So just so many good things I can say about the book. I think if you've seen both of these documentaries, the book can still give you so much and kind of fill in a lot of the holes that it's left. Um, For sure. And, and one thing I'll say is, is that's different about the book is like the entire second half of the book is really in some ways like a legal thriller. You know, the, the second half of the book kind of starts after everyone's been rounded up. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on in the courtroom that, I only know because I was there, you know, it's not, I'm not, you know, I, I was just fortunate enough to have a job that enabled me to leave the office and go to court all the time. So I was able to see all this stuff play out firsthand. And I tried to get inside without too much jargon, try to kind of get inside what was going on. Like if one lawyer was insulting someone or if there was some kind of like complicated legal move, but at the root of it was, shoddy wanting to screw over six nine you know i tried to incorporate all of that stuff that's really hard to get into day-to-day -day reporting um because it plays out over time right uh, so you know there is a lot of that stuff and then obviously an account of the of the trial and of the sentencing at which you know both were pretty dramatic and we could definitely talk about that so that's that's another thing that that sticks out about it yeah no how how was being in that courtroom what was the energy I mean, look, the first time, uh, you know, the first time that I saw Shadi and he's kind of scanning the courtroom and his eyes passed over me for a second, it was a little frightening. <laughs> you know? And likewise, you know, I, I ran into uh, Anthony Ellison, Harv, the guy who, who kidnapped 6 9 And, you know, there was one hearing at which we just both happened to be in the, you know, using the bathroom at the same time. And, he said, oh, Sean, you're killing, you, you're, you're killing me out there with the articles. You got to give me a break. And he was like sort of kidding, mm -hmm. sort of not, but also knew who I was and knew my name. And that was like, you know, it, that's how it goes. You know, I was there all the time. People knew who I was from sort of, you know, the deputy to the, you know, assistants to the lawyers to, you know, I, I at least some of the defendants. So... I, like I said, I think that enabled me to get a grasp on some of the more subtle things and also obviously on a lot of the background information which would come up in each person's individual case. You know, you got sort of a whole history of them as, as it went on. Going forward, um, mm -hmm. do you think that, how, how, how do you feel 6 ix 9s career goes from this? 
So one thing that I've been saying a lot is I would never rule this guy out. It doesn't appear right now. Like there's a ton of interest in his music career. He has been doing shows, you know, they've been successful, although he actually is uh, right now being sued for skipping out on one in Texas. Um, But, you know, the shows he's been doing that he's been, uh, you know, appearing at and not, not canceling on appear to be successful. Um, but obviously his last album was a disappointment sales wise. And so it's seen, and his trolling tactics don't appear to be gaining the audience they did back in 2018, right? That he's doing the same stuff, you know, insulting dead people and, you know, doing the, you know, doing the unthinkable and all of this, but it, it doesn't seem to be catching the way it did, you know, two, three years ago, but he's a very, very smart guy. And I would never rule out him finding another way to get the attention of the world. Will that be in music? Will that be in YouTube videos? Will that be in, you know, one of his producers suggested he should be a Twitch streamer, you know, like, Mm. I I don't know. We'll see, but I, I can't see him putting away the need for public attention that seems sort of too deeply you know in there to to give up easily okay now i know that kind of following him from the beginning there was um a couple guys who played the background love the cat yeah Yeah, that's joey that was awesome so there was a couple guys in the background i believe one name was drew and then Uh there was a uh uh, a white guy as well i'm how? Justin, 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 they called him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Are they still? Um, are they still friends? How's that relationship? So, I believe Drew is credited on some of Takashi's more recent songs, so it appears they're still close. Uh, I reached out to Drew while doing the podcast, and he didn't want to speak. I think at that point, publicly, he was trying to do his own music and get away from being the guy who wrote songs with Takashi and did Takashi's videos. Um, but like I said, he has been credited on more recent songs and I think on some of those songs, you can even hear his voice. Although I haven't, you know, I don't know if he's credited with, you know, background vocals or something. So I could be wrong about that, but it certainly sounds like him. Um, uh, at least on some stuff on the new album. So it appears like they're still working together. Um, I don't know about Justin. Uh, the other guy who was part of their video making team. Uh, yeah, I'm really not sure. Yeah, I always thought that was an interesting perspective. You had these three guys who were so different than his new set of friends. And it always felt like they were in the background kind of laughing like, you know, this guy's insane and this whole thing is insane. So I always thought that was an interesting perspective that they were. Yeah, have. I mean, Drew, Drew was, I think, you know, his closest friend during yeah. all of this and not but you're correct, not really involved, not at all involved in the gang stuff. You know, he was obviously aware of it. There's a funny, I talk about in the book, kind of a funny early club appearance that Takashi made where Drew was there and Shadi's there and a lot of the Nine Trey guys are there. And he's just so excited that his friend is doing well and that Seiko Billy's song is getting a response in the club. And so he just kind of starts jumping around, throwing up nine tray hand signs, even though he obviously had no affiliation with the gang. He was just kind of caught up in the moment. Yeah. 
that's that 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 was definitely a funny part of the book. Um, there's just so many good parts. Um, hey, like you said, the, it does have a thriller aspect in some of it. You know, when you talk about the kidnapping and different things, I'm just really excited about for people to read it. Um, I could obviously talk about the book, but there's something a little personal I wanted to touch on. Um, it's Christmas time, and okay. you used to do uh, your your podcast, The Cipher, is um. I'll say it on air. It's it's my all time favorite hip hop podcast, without a doubt. Thank you um, so much. I really felt like you what you did. Um, I strive to do. You kind of took it to a whole nother level with the uh, interjections where you would explain things and the songs. It was uh, pretty amazing. But around Christmas, you would do things with Bill Adler. His amazing guy in the hip hop scene comes from Def Jam and Run DMC. Um, have you talked to him lately? And uh, just. I I, I have actually. So I, I'm holding here actually, with a with a handwritten note. The this year's edition of the Christmas Jollies. That's is so exciting! Desk. Wow. So yeah, Bill. You know, I, I speak to him. He, you know, I he uh, looked at the book. We had it was not long pre-pandemic. I think that we had lunch, and he had looked at the book and was excited. You know, an early version of the book and was excited about it. I think it may have been like right when it was finally finished, you know, I gave him like an advance reader of it or whatever. Um, yeah, he is, he is great. I, I consider him a friend and a, and a mentor figure and he, it's kind of wild of all the people I've met in the hip hop world. Bill is in some ways, uh, the most mind blowing to me simply because I remember growing up in suburban New Jersey, right? And in the mid eighties being exposed to run DMC and, you know, maybe 86, 87, the beasties and, you know, all of this stuff. And it wasn't solely Bill, but Bill was the PR guy and he had a lot to do with that. Right. And it's just kind of like, it's wild to, to actually meet a person who was responsible for this music getting out to the wider world, including my small corner of it in the, you know, in the Jersey suburbs. Um, yeah, he's had a fantastic career both at, at Def Jam and then afterwards as a, you know, an archivist and a writer and a lot of, a lot of his uh, papers are now at Cornell university. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, he's been, he's been fantastic. Well, this, the question always changes for me about who would I have at my dinner party. But I was asked about two months ago. And, um, you know, Spike Lee, I, I had I invited him. I wanted Richard Linklater to be there, big film guy. But I said, Sean Sotero and Bill Adler. And, and, the, and the guy was like, really? Who, who are they and why? And I told him and I said, I just want to hear the Christmas jollies before anybody else. Like, I want to hear those two guys. <laughs> talk about it and I, I don't want to speak to them I just want to hear them have a because y'all's conversations are so um like I, I'm, a, I'm a kid of hip-hop like yourself um it was just the basis of my childhood and to hear you guys talk about it on a level and um you know with with the way that you guys do is truly special and I tell anybody if you like hip-hop if you like the history listen to the cypher it's uh it's a podcast that was done at the highest level and uh, I wanted to personally just tell you that you had a big influence on the way that you know I plan to do things as well Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it, one of the things that's been great about the past couple of years since, by the way, you know, Josh Cross, the producer of The Cypher, was really, you know, the other half of it and responsible for a lot of the interludes and stuff that you were talking about. Um, one of my great joys in the past 
couple years since we stopped the cipher uh, after, you know, 250 episodes is seeing a whole new generation of hip hop podcasts like yours. And the people running them are saying, look, I listened to the cipher. I was a fan of it. And they're very different shows. They're obviously not copying what we did, but just knowing that we provided, you know, inspiration and maybe a little bit of influence is, is fantastic. Like that really, it kind of warms my heart to, to see that happen. Yeah, it was, I still listen the other day. I went back and listened to, oh, um, he was a, uh, he was a photographer. I'm going to mess it up. Um, he was a photographer. He got his camera. He told a very inspirational story about him just, you know, just got a camera and started shooting, but whatever it was, um, I always go back and I can click on a random episode and get a great source of inspiration and knowledge. And that's just a, thank you. That's, that's what we tried to do. Like, I think some of our episodes, right, are people like Joe Conzo, who was probably the photographer you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, or, uh, you know, just all kinds of people who you wouldn't necessarily their names, right? But, you, you like you said, if you click on it, there's just a, a wealth of history. And I, I think we really, to an extent, really prided ourselves on that, that like, you know, yes, we had iced tea and that was great great. and yes we talked to Rakim and that was amazing and you know these sort of A-list people but also you know folks who maybe were behind the scenes or less known and and also got their their stories and talking about their work and those episodes are as worthwhile as the the iced teas of the world so that was something that you know we are proud of about the the legacy of the show Man, it's really cool. Um, I, I know you have a lot of stuff going on, and um, I just hope in the future we could maybe uh, in a few months talk about how the book is done, and maybe, um, like I said, it, it'd just be an honor to have you on any time. I don't want to take too much of your time today, and um, I want to tell everybody to go get the book. It's a great uh, Christmas gift, even for somebody who wasn't particularly into hip-hop. I think that they would find um, like the thriller and just that aspect of it, just the rags to riches. It's, it's an unbelievable story. Um so definitely, is there anything that you want to close with, Sean? Yeah, I mean, look, I would say, you know, obviously by the book, Complex Presents Dummy Boy, Takashi 6ix9ine, and the Nitrate Gangsta Bloods. And you're, you hit on something there, which is like, you don't need, even if you hate this guy, even if you think, why would I want to hear something about this guy? Or even if you're not really sure who he is, besides like, oh, isn't that the dude with the colorful hair? Hmm. You know, this is a story that really, I think it's the best hip-hop story of the decade, honestly. See, I told you guys that episode was going to be amazing. I hope you guys learned a little bit, enjoyed the Christmas Jollies part. If you guys hear this after the holidays, I hope you had an amazing time. Hope you spent time with family. Remember, do that more in 2022. Tell your people you love them. And just chill till the next episode. has been a Rogue Media Podcast.